Welcome to the Education Pre-Hospital Care Research Forum Journal Club. Here in our PCRF Journal Club, we promote evidence-based practices by critically evaluating the latest science in emergency medical services. We hope our discussion will help advance EMS practice. Through the generous support of our sponsor, Limmer Education, we can make science more accessible and understandable. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the January 2024 Pre-Hospital Care Research Forum Education Research Journal Club. The PCRF promotes research literacy to advance the science of EMS educational research. And here with the PCRF Journal Club, we take a closer look at some of the latest research happening in medical education. A thank you to Limmer Education for always sponsoring these podcasts so we can bring you the best of science in medical education. I'm Megan Corey, and I'm here with David Page and Katie O'Connor, and soon to join us will be Dr. Bill Toon. So today we're going to discuss this article that was published in the uh, journal Perspectives in Psychiatric Care. This is an open access article. This was published in May of 2023, and it is called Effects of an On-Campus Meditation Course on Depression, Anxiety, Stress, and Sleep Quality Among South Korean Paramedic Students. So thank you all for joining us today for this important discussion. So let's begin. We're going to remind our listeners that you can use the chat feature on your screen to type in questions and to talk amongst each talk amongst yourselves, and we can bring those into the conversation as we go. You can also use the question and answer to bring it into uh, the panel. So remember, if you miss any of these journal clubs, you can always check out our archives on our very own YouTube channel, and that's youtube.com slash at PCRF at UCLA. Uh, and remember to tag us, share on your favorite social media uh, website. Uh, we love when you do that. Uh, you can hashtag EMS research or at PCRF at UCLA, and we'd love that. So thanks again. Um, let's begin and um, let's look at this article here. This is, uh, again, out of uh, Korea. This is a, we know that there's been a recent spotlight on students and mental health. Uh, and and frankly, it's really increased since the return to face-to-face learning in the environment um, post-pandemic. However, this study is actually pre-pandemic. So this study was done in 2019 before any of this. So that kind of reminds us that concerns about higher education, college students' uh, mental health and first responder mental health and first responder student mental health predate the pandemic. And I think sometimes we need reminders about that. Um, there's other research that uh, showed, and I think we actually looked at at least one of those articles on this podcast, um, the prevalence of PTSD among paramedic students. So not just practicing EMS providers, but students coming into the profession is higher than in the general population. And that launched, I remember we had a good discussion about that, about, you know, are people attracted to this profession as a result of some, you know, encounter or event or uh, life events that um, that cause PTSD. These Korean students, though, uh, the authors highlight that uh, Korean students in general are reluctant to try medication options um, to treat uh, depression, anxiety, or stress, and really prefer maybe a multimodal um, intervention. 
So there is an intervention called true self-meditation, and this was developed by a professor, and a professor is uh, part of one of the universities where this intervention is going to take place. And we'll look at that in detail in a, in a little bit. But the they did a feasibility study first of integrating this true self-meditation into the curriculum. And that was a prior study, and they showed that it had potential to reduce stress and anxiety in paramedic students. This study, uh, the aim was to investigate the effects of this meditation. Oh, it says medication. Sorry about that. That's an American thing. I should correct that. It's true self-meditation intervention on paramedic student depression, anxiety, stress, and sleep quality. Um, and so this was a quasi-experimental design. I want to go into uh, the design a little bit and the methods so that we can bring in our uh, panelists here and talk a little bit about teaching research as well, because they use the term quasi-experimental design. I'm not sure some of our um, listeners might be thinking about doing some educational research, and maybe if you're learning about research, you might look at this and say, what is quasi-experimental? Typically, a quasi-experimental study aims to evaluate interventions, but they don't use randomization. So they want to look at the intervention of this true self-meditation um, intervention, um, but they don't randomize the, the participants. And you'll see why, um, you know, in, in terms of their uh, kind of their geography and their design. So what they did was they compared two groups. Uh, the assignment was done by really geographic location university program. They're two separate university programs. These are all third year paramedic students. They recruited them by flyer or social media. So this is a convenience sample. Um, they're two similarly sized universities. They're in different provinces of South Korea. And these are, uh, again, two different cohorts of students. The control group and the intervention group are both going to get a pre-test or, or uh, surveys, and you'll see what those are, pre-test tools. Uh, and then there's the time period of the study during which the control group will go about their eight weeks of regular class time, and the intervention group will encounter eight weeks of true self-meditation intervention. And then that's followed by a post-test, which is a week after the intervention uh, period. So uh, they excluded students who had prior psychiatric disorder or if they underwent meditation training already. So that was a, a nice way to kind of try to come you know, to the table with a, a sort of clean slate. And the experimental group, um, the intervention was actually three times a week for eight weeks. It was a 50-minute session. This is between, again, September, November of 2019. The control group, it was regular classes for the eight weeks. The pretest was one week before the intervention or the, the time period of the study, those eight weeks. And post-test was one week after. They did have an unfortunate thing happen that we can talk about, which is they had the final exam happen to be scheduled a week after the post-test, which might have um, influenced some of the stress and anxiety. Um, there were 30 recruited uh, students per group, and they calculated this. They did a sample size calculation based upon an effect size, based upon looking at other studies and one of their studies prior to this one. And again, convenient sampling their final uh, tally after, you know, they always have some dropouts, people who don't, you know, finish or, or you know, don't do the pretest, don't show up. 
27 in the experimental group, 28 in the control group. So I want to take a second here before we talk about the actual intervention and just ask you guys a question, Katie, Dave, when Bill comes on, I know you got, you've taught research to paramedic students. One of, uh, here's an exercise that I think would be really good to look at the study aim of investigating the effects of an intervention on, you know, an effect of the paramedic student. So here, depression, anxiety, stress, and sleep quality, and then asking the student, you know, give me three different ways you could design a study to get at this question. So, um, you know, Dave, Katie, how do, how do you end up, when you teach research, if you were to design something like this, what might you do different? Or how do you think this could be done? I actually, I think they did a really good job. Um, yeah. You know, sometimes when you want to do randomized controlled double blind studies and you want to take uh, two medications and put, you know, saline in one and, and medication in the other, it's like truly blinded and nobody knows what you're doing. And, you know, you really see if the intervention is going to matter. Um, but when, it when you're talking about, first of all, educational research, and second of all, uh, research that involves the brain, it involves, you know, depression, it involves anxiety. It, these are um, much, much harder studies to do. It's not like you can kind of pretend that you're and, and it's hard to say, okay, are you watching me sleep? Uh, am I sleeping now? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, is anybody, is it, oh, I just woke up. Uh, did, did that count? So people who know they're being watched, it's called a Hawthorne effect. Hawthorne. Really, mm -hmm. uh, just kind of, you know, don't feel super comfortable being watched. And, uh, and then they change their, their behavior. And I think um, the participation of the students by the students in a process where they were the participants in research is phenomenal. It's it's an active research participation. Instead of instead of reading an article about, you know, whether or not the latest medication is epinephrine effective, what does ketamine do? Instead of reading some article that's just all about that, they experienced uh, participation in a, in a process, and they had to learn about what that what that means. So I think. It's ideal, um, you know. Baxter Larman, my mentor, would uh, have the students at UCLA. Uh, Daniel Freeman at the time uh, actually tried different suction machines and say, "Okay, well, you know, can, can you use the hand suction or the electric suction?" And look, you know, Chunky Campbell soup. Can you? Which one is better? And then they'd write it up um, because it was uh, a way to teach them how research is done and how you can uh, pose a hypothesis and try to you know test the hypothesis. So I, um, uh, I think I, you know this kind of research, especially uh, touching on mental health with paramedic mm. students is critical. There was a study that uh, we did we did a podcast on years ago that showed the first ride-alongs in a paramedic student's uh, experience were incredibly traumatic and we just didn't even yeah. know it. We just sort of assumed, get out there on the ambulance, let's go be exposed to this uh, world of pain, hurt, anxiety, uh, which most of us love and think we should do more of, but a student who's never done that before, you know, exposure to lights, siren, uh, you know, intensity really actually caused quite a bit of a reaction. And um, this, you know, running towards the emergency thing 
may actually be, uh, you know, not as uh, psychologically safe as we thought. And, and the micro trauma is pretty big. I love it that they actually had their final exam. I think that's great. Right after? Oh, you uh, did? <laughs> yes. Because, well, they all did too. It's not different between the control and experimental. Right. If you're so. going to stress inoculate, uh, right? I mean, that's mm -hmm. part of this conversation sure. is can you get people uh, better sleeping habits, less anxiety, you know, more ability yeah. to cope? Then why not create a stressful event? You can't, you can't actually do it while the study's going on, I don't think, because I don't know, um, maybe you could, but the concept that it's there and that, that, that you're coming up to this stressful moment and seeing if the two groups diverge and how they manage that stress, I think is brilliant, whether they did it on purpose or not. Yeah. Um, I do like that they also say that way, though, maybe. Well, in the very beginning, they do say this. They say that stress is associated with acquiring professional knowledge, which I thought was interesting. You know, we think paramedic student stress, we think, oh, their internship, but right. acquiring professional medical knowledge, adapting to different environments, academic, clinical and emergency and being exposed to a traumatic events. We tend to think of that last one exposed oh, to traumatic events, but there's all right. of the other things. No, right? I think that it was incredibly nerve wracking. The first time an instructor told me, hold this needle and shove it into your, your, your partner. partner's arm. Um, <laughs> and I, I, you know, I mean, I think we all can relate to that if in paramedic school, but even in EMT class, you know, the concept of here's your, here's your partner. Now do a head to toe assessment, put your hands everywhere. And you're like, yeah, where you want me to put my hands on a stranger's body uh yeah really? like yeah whoa and then this concept of if you do the wrong thing they might die yeah study hard you're like oh i better study katie yeah i don't know um maybe i'm just more neurotic too but i think some of this is like it's stressful learning how to not be stressed so they're in class and now they're learning about how they should be like meditating and how they should be unstressed and the idea of like, well, I should be unstressing, but I'm more stressful because I've got these tests coming up and, and being able to distinguish if it's because I'm not learning how to unstress like fast enough or good enough, or I'm not like better at meditation. Like, mm. I definitely feel like, especially in um, my experience and in some like high performing cohorts experience, like they, the high performers are worried that they're not doing the de-stress technique well, and that is yeah. causing them stress. So like the whole idea that we have to learn how to manage stress is just like another professional behavior that we have to learn that causes stress. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Bill has joined us too. And, and Katie, I'd like to hear more from you in a little bit, because I know you said you had some, uh, you were actually doing some interventions in your class. You're doing some, uh, yoga, I think. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'd like to hear more about that in a minute. Cool. Yeah. Um, so Bill joined us and Bill, we were talking, um, on, uh, sorry, you were trapped in, um, you know, participant land out there, uh, but you're a panelist now. And I wanted to, uh, find out teaching research when you are teaching research. Uh, one of the things that I think is, is helpful. I'm just curious about how you go about, helping your students understand study design without getting too mired in, well, all the limitations make it so it doesn't mean anything. Um, and they use this quasi-experimental, we could sit here and say it should be randomized and all this other stuff, but we know there's limitations for that too. And they discuss that, but any, any advice for people teaching research, what things might be effective in helping students get through that 
too skeptical mindset from the skeptic, from the ultimate skeptic. <laughs> um, <clears throat> one of the things that we did in our program, I think that was very helpful uh, is we had them write a research paper. And but we did a lot of prep work beforehand, and mainly the prep work was was teaching them how to research for their topic. And I was very lucky; we were a hospital-based paramedic program, and we had a librarian, a research librarian, medical librarian, and she taught them all about that aspect of how to get the information, how to cite citation, and all that type of stuff. And our goal at the time, and you know, remember this was years ago when I did this, is I wanted them to be able to learn how they can improve their profession based upon what's out there in the literature. So it was really trying to make them familiar with the literature versus trying to make them researchers themselves. Mm. So the term was, is I was trying to make them consumers of the research. And the yeah. way to do that was, you know, and, and we tried to, you know, they had to do the usual thing that, you know, they had to come up with a topic that they wanted to do. And then they had to explain it to me so we could help them write their question, you know, what it was that they were going to be writing their paper about. Mm -hmm. And then once that was approved, then we we had them do them in, in sections at a time. You know, we classically broke it down at five in five chapters and they over the course of that time was able to I was able to to monitor things going all along but at the end it was scored by um uh two that was scored by the co-medical directors <clears throat> and an English professor and then that's how they got their final grade that was associated with it and it was just again to teach them to be consumers it was not to teach them to be active researchers so that's mm. the only experience that i could i can really um share with you i really think that anyone that is actively involved in education would benefit hugely by participating in the pre-hospital care research forums program that they uh, do with ESO. And yes. taking that as an opportunity would be just very valuable for them because if they haven't had a chance to do that, that would help them so much because it would help them help their patients. The other thing, I mean, their students, the other thing we did is we did do journal, we started doing journal clubs towards the end of my yes. time there. So that's how yeah, we did and, and journal clubs are tricky too, because I, I think it's really important to, to, again, start with the question that the authors have come up with or their study aim, and then say there's many different ways to actually study this, and that's how you design it. And each one comes with a set of limitations, but each one contributes to the literature. So I think those journal clubs can be very helpful at, at seeing that, you know, there are many ways to look at this. And the more ways we look at it and see the same results, the more we can say that it's, uh, you know, that what we're seeing is real. So... Uh, so let's get to this. And actually, you mentioned something, Bill, I don't have a slide on it, but there's a number of events that come up in the pre-hospital care research forum. Uh, next month, I'll make sure that we've got a slide set. But June 30th, we have, we're going to have an abstract uh, submission deadline. Um, and the ESO uh, research, um, you know, events, we want to, the, the collaborative events with the pre-hospital care research forum, where you can learn more about um, how to, how to conduct research in a team environment with mentors. So it's pretty cool. We'll have that uh, coming up too. 
for you, more announcements on that. So let's get into this intervention. So one thing this table doesn't show, so this is table one. And by the way, it's an open access article and very readable. So it's it's not one of those where you're gonna get mired down in a whole lot of, you know, descriptive of statistics and, and things that might, or the, you know, maybe uh, it's not written well. This is actually written very, uh, very readable uh, language. So um, I would recommend pulling it and reading it. So table one shows the true self-meditation program. And one thing it doesn't show is that in the body of the description, they say that there was a short lecture. So there was a lecture before each of these sessions. And then I think that's probably illustrated under the first step in each one of these week's uh, interventions. And then there was 20 to 25 minutes of the actual meditation. And this true self-meditation, um, it's a type of meditation in which you restore a positive mindset and eliminate a negative mindset. And that's promoted by reflection on your own life. So it's it's kind of you know eliminating the self-negative um, perceptions or mindsets and instilling the positive. So that's uh, kind of the goal of this. So you can see that these are the weeks over on the left side, uh, week one through eight, the topic itself. So it's very it, it's very prescriptive. And there's three sessions within each of them because it was three times a week. They were 50 minutes total. So that means half of that time was a lecture. Um, on a they said a short lecture, but then they said the interventions, the meditation was actually 20, 25 minutes long, which is half of 50 minutes or so, um, meaning that they did get some things on an explanation um, and maybe some focus before the uh, meditation. So you can see each one of these. Um, and I'm just, I'd like to bring Katie in to see, you know, what did you think of this having, and actually having done um, an intervention or doing a regular intervention in your paramedic class right now, you're doing um, yoga, I believe. Yeah, they do yoga for an hour with a um, a person who's actually, he's a former vet um, and a first responder. And he specifically does yoga training for first responders to manage stress and wellness. Um, and they call it tactical yoga. Uh, it's unlike any other yoga I've seen, but there's a lot of yelling involved. <laughs> so it's really interesting, but they get really excited. Um, and they, they actually have, uh, initially they're very skeptical. Um, and there's always a group of holdouts that are like, why are we doing yoga? We could be using this time to study, especially when we're getting close to exams and they're, they're, um, anxiety is getting higher. They're like, let's discard the yoga so we can do more studying. And I'm like, that's actually not productive. And mm -hmm. it's weird because all of these things that they have listed here as part of like true self meditation program. And even more so when they get start getting into the discussion of what true self is, I am finding that these are the things and like the things they're learning in yoga that are the, um, I would say life skills that they're missing. And I see uh, Dr. Heather Davis is on here. We were literally talking yesterday about how so many of the students and health professions now from like med student, resident, all the way down to like me at community college with a 19 year old trying to do EMR. They don't have life skills that I think that like Dr. Toon would just take for granted that was just developed over time that like that I'm taking for granted now that I'm older, but they just don't have um, my elementary school colleague teaching friends says coping skills, like part of what mm. they teach in elementary school that I guess people just aren't aware of is how to cope with things mm. and cope with anxiety, cope with stress. And this idea that you're 
like building a false sense of self with what's real and what's not real and that you have to identify that and deal with it, I think is something that's really true. I mean, I I don't know of a single paramedic program that wouldn't have a self-reflection component. And usually it's an internship where we've already said they're really high up and like their their internship preceptor turns to them and says, what'd you do well and what'd you do poorly? If they can't manage this sense of like false reality that they build up where I did everything poorly. It's like, no, you didn't, you didn't drop your bag. You didn't trip and fall when you walked in. Like you didn't do everything wrong. You know, like you did something right. Like maybe your shirt stayed tucked in the whole time. That could be the only right thing you did, but at least you did something right. Um, So I think some of these things are skills that, that we have not identified well in paramedic education. There's no like um, appendix G for life skills that <laughs> please that, that's we don't want <laughs> no <laughs> we don't need an event yeah a, a checklist a checklist is like okay you're good check right how do we actually that? I, no i think that with the amount of chatter that appendix g gets uh which is fairly which is gone by the way um we, <laughs> we should we should just uh yeah exactly yeah, yeah. we should have a student minimum competency in the ability to self-assess and actually, uh, you know, I, I want to use their words because this this disassociation uh, and the concept of making lists of these demons that you know you carry around in your sort of mm. uh, demon rucksack that you, you yeah. know, like it just gets weighed down and weighed down and 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 they're saying you know disassociate that like like actually think about this and and move it away divide up what you can affect and what you can't affect and if you can't affect it then why are you carrying this thing around and um it's really uh very cool to kind of think could we teach people to be self-aware enough to say that's a that's an anxiety or that's a concept that i created in my head that that isn't really real and and uh, I'm gonna find the exact words they use, but uh, I'm 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 all down for SMC of self awareness. See, I, here's why I'm not, um, because it will be turned into the check sheet of of whatever. And really, I think if we can show that that um, whether it's self reflection, I mean, how much of this is what Kim McKenna talks about a lot, which is journaling mm-hmm. and self reflection. That's guided, right? Guided self reflection on these concepts and 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 if you can show that these things uh, you know affect a tr- uh, retention retention <laughs> the big topic right and actually success. make Student people success. actually are able to to feel good about themselves and feel like they're you know helping people in the end and and you know and and they retain in the field and they you know if you, this becomes a part of practice and it improves that then it's about you know do you have a program that that shows you know that shows this improvement in retention and and success of the student not here are the th- here is the way that you have to sit in your you know check 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 you know yeah. that's the okay. kind of thing okay but smc <laughs> is not all about individual skills it's all about the, you know the exposure i'm saying sure. it brings enough attention to the instructors I think that we have to consider context. This is done in Korea. Meditation mm-hmm. is not some kind of weird esoteric 
uh, thing that happens in California paramedic programs and not like, you know, <laughs> sorry, yo screaming yoga is never coming out of my brain. Like that's going to stay as like, like, you know, I don't know, tactical yoga. I think I know, yeah. tactical yoga. that's like, that's like, hot yoga like, like yogas, karate, not, tai chi, like yoga. let's think yeah, about when they the go to warrior they one, they scream. <laughs> I tai Chi. We actually have interrupted the police. The police have said that the paramedics are too loud. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I love it. I love it. I love it. So, so if I, if I think of the, uh, you know, academy style paramedic programs all across the country, all doing a bit of yoga begin, like, like meditation would be like a you know do you want some avocado that with that in California? Um, now <laughs> that's uh, what I, people think. <laughs> I, that is what people think. Now yeah. I would say that being able to take a deep breath and look inward, and maybe you know because of these the way that we make um, associations in our brain with certain words and begin mm -hmm. to think um, these are this is something I can't do like you're asking me to meditate. Are you kidding me? I yeah. am stressed. Like I can't do it. Um, but in fact, you know, I, I'll, I, I know it's, it's a, it's an unhealthy habit to go outside and vape and, and smoke a cigarette, but what are paramedic students doing when they do that or EMS professionals, mm -hmm. they're taking a minute and they're really, you know, uh, kind of walking away from it all, usually in a spot where they're surrounded by other people who are doing the same thing. And they're going to just focus on breath, uh, even even in a in a in an unhealthy way, maybe mm -hmm. introducing a chemical. But in another way, they're kind of going, "I need a cigarette. I need okay. a cigarette. I need to go away uh, and just you know clear my 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 head." And I think um, if we can remove substance uh, as part of that, that's just meditation. It's a moment of self reflection in which you're disassociating with the you know this is happening. And you're just focused on, you know, what is it that's making me stressed? Um, and let, let me go away. And then when I come back, I'll be calmer, um, you know, again, without the chemicals. That's why I say that, that you know, rather than, an, you know, a, a specific checklist, SMC, whatever you want to call it, it's more of a, an overall, do, what mechanisms do you have to ensure student, you know, um, whatever student health, mental health or whatever. And, and there may be multiple, it may be a walking group um, it, with guided discussions on false mindsets related to school or, you know, on worrisome or anxious mindsets related to, can I even be a paramedic? I've been told by other people that I, I, I'm not the, the type or whatever. Can I get that false mindset out by just walking and talking this out, you know, is, does it have to be sitting in and in, in one place with you know in a certain venue or whatever? So, Katie. Well, I think the interesting thing, Megan, that like Heather brings up here in the chat, and like the idea of just adding it to the curriculum is we tend to add stuff to paramedicine that we're like, oh yeah, the, we should know about this, we should know about this, we should know about this, and like the educators who are now tasked with doing these things do not know how to teach these things, let alone probably do them themselves. Like Dave's like saying, get the substance out of it. I am like currently drinking caffeine. You know, like I would not be the person who could be like, how do you break from? So yeah, I, yeah, all of us have this problem, right? So PCRF, like, it, it, it even says PCRF on it. They, they used a, a expert in meditation to lead this. And even 
just like the idea of like facilitated meditation or facilitated guidance and thinking when you're, uh, and she's, she says she's drinking a coconut. We're all like, I, I don't know if everyone on this podcast may be substance using right now. It's probably <laughs> highly likely we're all in EMS, right? Um, but that's the, like the sense of, okay, great, great. We want to do this. We want to have them meditate. We want to have them like think about their, um, the word they're using is true and false mindset. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I, I could do that. that in a way that's not harmful. And I think mm -hmm. it's the same thing that we're talking about with like bias and discrimination and um, gender affirming care. I don't know nearly enough about gender affirming care. And I am probably going to walk into a million landmines if I try to teach about that. But they added it to my curriculum. I agree. It should be there. I just don't think I'm the person to teach about it. So yeah. I think we need an EMS education to be a little bit more like bring in outside experts yes. and it's just like I, you see this in nursing education nurses have to be taught by nurses and it doesn't lead to better education like we need to make sure in ems that we're like okay we realize we should have more reflection we should have more meditation let's bring in meditation experts yeah i i couldn't agree more and i think um yeah i put in the chat the actual words of what this intervention is because i, I really like this sort of it's a progressive level. So it's not just like you you get into it immediately and then that's it. And it's 20 mm -hmm. to 25 minutes. So it's a significant break in the in the in the action. And then it's it's uh this concept of identifying negative and false perceptions that can be eliminated and cleansed through mind subtraction. So yeah. um I, I don't know how to do that, but I really want to learn. Like, I really would want to actually be able to catalog some of these horrible rocks that I carry around in my PTSD rucksack and 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 just be able to free myself from these negative concepts and and re, uh, you know, we talked about Ginny Renkowitz's uh, Ginny Kaplan studies that that really talk about that that uh, micro and and uh, and cumulative stress that then, you know, you, you didn't, you didn't quite resolve it. And then you're re-traumatized or you're by extension traumatized by the, the, the concepts that pe other people are sharing with you here. Um, you know, if you're in class and your instructor is sharing a traumatic memory, you're, you're exposed to that um, just as much as you're exposed to your own trauma and thinking, what would I do if somebody was in front of me who was uh, experiencing, whether it's a heart attack or, uh, you know, being uh, suicidal? So I think this mind subtraction is really fascinating. And um, and being able to sort of control that is really a cool or at least be conscious of it. Uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I'm. we're always going to hear the time thing well we don't have time or we don't have this isn't you know quote unquote in the curriculum and that sort of suggests to me that people are not interleaving um you can interleave you know content with anything um contextualized learning i mean this this could fit you you don't do this during the wellness section the wellness chapter chapter i think that's one of our problems is, you know, do you do this? Oh, we're going to do eight weeks and we're going to pick a time during paramedic school. Is it before the final exam? Is it during clinicals? Is it at the very beginning? Um, we're going to talk about nutrition. We're going to do this once um, rather than interleaving and and extending it throughout the entire program and beyond and into the workplace. So I'm curious about, about that. I think we always hear that time thing. And again, that's, that suggests to me that people are marching through 
a written curriculum chapter by chapter rather than um, interleaving the content. I'm, I'm really curious about the the last step in each of these sessions. And that has to do, well, not in everyone, but it looks like sharing these observations is in the majority of them. And is that in a, did you catch that? Was it in a written form or is that share outs? And if there's 27 people in, in the you know intervention group, are these smaller groups? Is this one big group? You know, what's yeah. that sharing part? Cause that could go on for an hour. <laughs> I know. I was wondering the same thing. And in my head, I was thinking, I was like, oh my gosh, I can barely, this to me relates to like the idea of in simulation when they do reflection, like, Hey, what went well, what could go better? I can barely get those kids to talk. They're just like, they don't want to insult each other. They don't want to like say something because then they're afraid that if they make a mistake, someone will call them out for that mistake because they called them out for a mistake. It's just ridiculous. And the idea of like having a safe learning environment, which, you know, we can say at the beginning of the classroom, like this is a safe space, make mistakes. But how are we actually creating that? And I was wondering if if they were really sharing these things, if that really contributed to them having a more safe educational space because they were sharing like, unrelated kind of, um, you know, not, I made a mistake doing an IV, but I'm having this thing about my family or my mindset around, um, you know, anxiety or, or something that that could maybe make them more, um, open to vulnerability, like a Brene Brown kind of situation. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, you're saying there's not enough time, but I feel like if you do this, you like maximize all of your other things. Like, is this a domino yeah. effect where, because we did a good job here, like it really improved the learning that we had when we were debriefing. It really improved our ability for students to reflect on what they got wrong. Maybe they're more open to coming to office hours. Maybe they're more mm -hmm. open to asking questions because they have built a rapport. I don't know if that's true or not. It just, that whole part about sharing. I was like, oh gosh, if I could get my kids to open up about anything or just ask a question. Yeah. Like we're working on, if I don't know the word that Katie said in the, the, the classroom, I raise my hand. That's the level of like interaction I'm trying to get them to do. <laughs> Can't imagine sharing about that. I have a very drama. social class right now. It's it's more like, okay, can everyone stop talking for a second? <laughs> okay, so we have, you mentioned something in there too, which is there are many other things, sort of that translational science. What could this, you know, and that's another design question. Right now we're looking at the pre and post evaluation and these are the tools that they used. So what we just saw was the actual specific way of um, self um, of the, the meditation, um, intervention that they used and each of the sessions over the eight weeks. Now, these are the tools that they use. These are validated tools that they, that are adopted for, um, Korean, uh, and this actually says it's a Korean version of each of these, um, scales. They're validated and, and reliable. They even, you know, go into the details about, uh, what each one means and that they've actually calculated the, uh, reliability. And so we've got the uh, depression, anxiety, stress response, and then sleep evaluation. So the depression um, scale, if you are in this, I want to point this out because in the next table, this is sort of one of the, the highlights here. Uh, the cutoff to identify clinical depression using this scale is greater than or equal to 25 points at baseline. And then there's other little, um, you know, ranges. And then there's anxiety and then stress response. All of those, those three, the higher the score, the higher the anxiety, stress response, or um, depression. 
And then with the, or actually, is it the higher the score? Yeah. And then with the sleep response inventory, the higher the score, the better the sleep. So that might throw you off a little bit when you look at um, the numbers. Uh, just keep that in mind as we look at the numbers. So they do these uh, questionnaires um, and again, validated questionnaires, which I thought was pretty good. I mean, the, the, I thought their methods in terms of what they, how they designed the study were pretty tight. Um, any, I don't know if you felt any differently about the methods, but moving on to the, the results. So here are the results, the two tables. The first one compares the participant characteristics between the groups. And we're seeing male and female um, breakdown. There are more female. Now, again, you're looking at two things, the overall, and then you're looking at the comparison of the two groups, which is the most important because we want to see, we want to isolate the intervention um, and make sure that the the differences between groups isn't you know significantly different. They didn't find differences between the groups between um, their age. They're relatively young, you know, 21, 22 years old. Um, the sex, male to female, um, whereas not different between groups, but there's more females. So I was wondering, and I didn't see this in the paper, how does that reflect the overall population of paramedic students? Um, is this the ratio of paramedic students that you see in uh, in Korean paramedic schools? And I don't know if anybody knows that, but Dave, do you have any idea? Um, I know that the paramedic program uh, or paramedic uh, services in Korea are heavily, uh, 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 predominantly fire-based. Mm -hmm. And it, it would be ex extremely uh, uh, surprising to me that that um, they have managed to solve the diversity, particularly uh, sex diversity of the, of the, uh, I'm not even going to get into gender identity, just, you know, just male, female um, mix of paramedics in the fire service in Korea. So the number of women in these classes really surprised me. Um, mm -hmm. it was, it's actually predominantly women. I, I think the private ambulance services in Korea, as with all over the world, must also employ women paramedics. So I think maybe what we're seeing is uh, they're not they're not necessarily uh, students who are uh, potentially already firefighters. I'm not sure. That's a bias of mine in my head, just because when I've I've been there, I've met with the fire mm -hmm. service. I have not met any female firefighter paramedics there. They were all males. Mm -hmm. But um, but I think uh, you know my sample size is tiny, so I don't I don't really actually know. Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought that was uh, an important question to address would be how does it compare to the general, although we're really just looking at the two groups, the comparison of the two groups. So yeah, as long as the two groups are okay. Bill, did you have something? It, it, yeah, excuse me. Did Dave say he didn't know? I don't know. I don't know so <laughs> I, many things, Bill. Would someone write uh, that down somewhere, please? Here's another thing that I don't know, because we're, we're into an, uh, statistics, and um, I wish we had Remley Crow or Tony mm. Fernandez here with us, mm -hmm. but in the in the first kind of comparison of the two groups when you look at what was one versus another um they mentioned the use of this ANCOVA and now i've heard of ANOVA yes statistical method that, that you know where you you're analyzing independent categorical vari variables 
And that's what ANOVA is. So that is a very common way to, you know, do uh, statistics and, and analysis. Mm -hmm. And COVA is something that I had not heard of. And I put the definition in the chat. And for those that don't know, it's, it's a generalized form of ANOVA uh, introducing covariates to adjust the model. So, uh, you know, maybe some of the covariates are uh, at play here, which I, would, would mm -hmm. make sense. Um, what I don't know is if that was the, um, and, and it might have been the perfect statistical test. Um, I often think of regression when I think of it, selecting elements that might affect this. So um, in each one of these candidates or paramedic students, there could be already coping mechanisms that could account for their ability to deal with stress. And some of them may have already uh, identified ways that they could improve their health or sleep or, anxi or decrease anxiety. Mm -hmm. And so um, uh, without going into depth about one of them was on uh, uh, already a medication to help them with their anxiety. Somebody else uh, who was uh, super sleep deprived really actually, you know, realized that and began changing their ways in either group, the intervention group or not. It's hard. Uh, this is a hard, uh, I guess, set of variables that I'm just not familiar enough. And I, Bill, I don't know. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah. Oh, 10% so of Korean level two EMTs are female. So it is rare actually, oh, Katie, yeah. right? Um, uh, so, oh, level one is an EMT. I see. So we have 50% EMTs, um, uh, level one mm. paramedic versus level two paramedic or level one EMT versus level two EMT. So uh, technically uh, these are EMTs. I'm assuming they had to be an EMT before they're a paramedic. Uh, that's right. a very good assumption. I think you, you would say that because of level one, level two. Okay. Cause these are paramedic students. Yeah. And then uh, the, the satisfaction with your major, there was no difference either. And there was a few meh, not, not too, they're mediumly satisfied, satisfied with their major, but most were satisfied or very satisfied and no difference between groups. And then the interesting thing is table three. So getting to what you were saying, Dave, too, um, and I'm not sure, again, having, having Remley here would be helpful or Tony, um, you know, the covariates, are they talking about dep the depression, anxiety, stress, and sleep quality and the effect on each each of those on the other? So, for example, if you're depressed, are you more likely to be anxious? Are you more likely to be anxious if you're, you're you know, stressed? If you're, Are you more likely to have poor sleep quality if you have, you know, high scores in the other three? So that's that's what I was wondering where that ANCOVA, you know, what what exactly that, what are they, what covariates are we looking at here? But in the end, the analysis that they chose, what they discovered, and if you, um, you know, look at the first thing, and the reason why I highlighted the depression score was because the baseline of both groups is in the clinically depressed area. So um, the cutoff to identify clinical depression is greater than or equal to 25 points at baseline. And in the pretest, we have both groups in depressed. the clinically depressed I area. resemble that remark. Um, <laughs> I, I think if we did a study uh, with paramedic students in the U.S., which I hope we will, um, the clinical markers for depression would come up immediately. Uh, we were doing some of that work when we were doing some of the uh, 
pre-paramedic uh, kind of entrance exam testing and seeing if personality mattered. Uh, this maybe not your your self perception, but your your um, engagement with that. How do you engage with your uh, with your worlds? But um, hmm. I think our culture normalizes it. That's the problem, right? Like, let's just hark back to how much we're all just drinking coffee right now. That like we can't see the signs of depression that are clinical because we're just like, oh, that's just like how everybody acts. So yeah. I don't know. It's also it's also a culture I think where we've um, it's cool to be struggling, like if somebody walks into paramedic school, or or frankly uh, the local ambulance service, you're you're in the fire station goes, I'm having a great day. How's your day? Oh, life is so grand. It's almost like yeah, the world's against us. We're you know we're making it through. Ah, yeah. you know I got up in the morning and oh was terrible traffic was i had to work all night long oh you should have seen this call it's like uh it's almost heroic to have the struggle uh yeah. so you teach people to actually identify the things that are hard and be able to pull them out when you're when when you arrive at school and and somebody says how's your day going oh man we got all this stuff and that's oh, terrible and it's cool I it's terrible they said to my students, like a couple of the paramedics who came in, it was like, be prepared to have no friends, no social life. Yeah. Can't go on dates. Be prepared to I'm be like, miserable because no, that's, that's cool. I want them to go on dates. I want them to have a support system. <laughs> what are you doing? Don't tell them to give up all their friends. They're going to be obnoxious. In that class. is so true. That is so true. Look right. Look left. One of these people will fail. Okay. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Bill, you've jumped in here. You're awfully quiet. Well, <laughs> I was thinking the the uh, the real ultimate insult there is pass out uh, applications to McDonald's to the class. So, yeah. but um, I think the you know the whole thing about this uh, you know when I read this paper and I just started to think is that all right three things one is it really would be nice starting at the EMT level to know what people's emotional baseline is. And then to be able to evaluate it throughout, you know, longitudinally and throughout their career. But, you know, we would have to use more behavioral based surveys and stuff. And and then when you identify something with someone that is there, would there then be a mechanism to put them into, uh, you know, direct them to some professional help, you know, beyond just the study aspect of it. So that's one thing is it would really be interesting to know what everyone's baseline is, because I think we all bring our luggage into whatever we're doing. Dave is the luggage I carry at times. So uh, I put you and then the other room. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and then and then the other thing is, is there's two things I do think. And I like what Katie had to say is I do think we need. The old approach, I don't think, is the right approach. So I do think it would be great to say, this is going to be a great educational experience for you. You're going to get great enrichment out of this. You're going to get great personal satisfaction. Will it be challenging at times? Certainly it will be. But we want you to go on vacations. We want you to spend time with your loved ones and, and then teach them you know, how to manage their stress but then at the same time, how do we begin that? Uh, and I, I like to use the term grit. How do we teach them to develop their grit? 
you know, because the reality is this is a very challenging profession and you see absolutely terrible things, but how do we prepare them, you know, inoculate them well, so we don't lose them over time. So, those, mm-hmm. and, and then the final thing I'd, I'd like to touch on is that I hear it a lot of times. There's just not enough time in my program to touch on everything they want me to touch on. To me, it just begs we need a longer program, but uh, I know that's not a favorable type of thing. So that those are just some thoughts I had. Yeah, I don't know. I think we need to rethink again interleaving content how we how we teach too. Um, but it, it, to your point, yeah, we can't just keep adding and adding and not have uh, some adjustment for for time too and time spent so that we can make sure the students are are ready and that we are too. So. So looking at the uh, table again, uh, you can look over at the p-values if you want, uh, and you can slide down and see the the p-value that they used for uh, most of our studies. Uh, we see 0.05, and we see three areas of significance, and that's uh, in anxiety and stress, reduction of anxiety and stress, and improved sleep quality uh, for the those who went through the intervention group. Um, and the interestingly, so you see you know, sometimes trends when you look at numbers, but you have to, you know, evaluate. Again, they did that sort of analysis of variance through um, covariate analysis of variance. So that's what they use to um, to evaluate these. So I'm just thinking to, um, it, I really enjoyed reading this study. I, I thought it was well-written you know, it has its limitations. It makes me think about the next levels because this is one of those early studies that hasn't been done yet. Uh, you know, it's building on prior research, which is what we teach students when they're learning about research. You know, what's the background? What led to their question? What led to them conducting the study? And then the next step is where does it go from here? So, you know, we've been mentioning a lot of kind of translational science in our discussion. So where do we go from here? What do we want it to impact? Um, what are the things that you would like to see if you had some type of intervention uh, in your program? What would we want to see in the long term um, to evaluate? So let me just, you know, kind of throw that out there. I know it's a small study. It wasn't randomized. It's not scalable, but it's still very interesting. And I, I'd like to see what what would you use in our last couple of minutes here, what kind of things would you want to see um, this improve? Like if you had to demonstrate to your dean or your boss or whatever that you need to, you want to do this, what is it that you're going to say it will improve? What are the big long-term outcomes you'd like to see? So uh, Katie, let me start with you. Yeah. Um, I don't know about the rest of you here at this community college. We've had an overwhelming amount of students who need mental health services, like just in general at the college and we've had multiple like crisis events. So that would be something that I think would be like a sell to the college just because they're trying to figure out how the heck the they can manage the mental health crisis in the current population that we have of students that um, most of what I've read the literature says it's around like post COVID and again, not having coping skills not having some of the socialization and like the adulting is hard kind of situation. So for me, like some of these things, I think, again, are just life skills that if they can manage these, they won't need as many resources. They won't need as much support. They won't have as much crisis. 
and we're already like 17 counselors short of what we need. Mm -hmm. So I'd be like, hey, look, if we can just put some resources towards this preventative type stuff, then like maybe EMC won't need to use the crisis counselors. Hopefully. Yeah. So numbers of crisis interventions. Yeah. Dave, what do you think? Maybe I should pull Dave and Bill into this so we can yeah, hear some yeah, banter. Yeah, yeah. Um, like what what are your, if you were to try and sell this to whether your boss, either at, in the education arena or even in the workplace, let's say, I mean, this could be in the workplace too. For me, for me, it's a pretty easy sell. I mean, uh, let, let's just be honest. Um, we, you know, we pretend like it's not there, but we have tremendous mental health concerns or uh, flat out, I mean, all I'd have to do is name the, sadly, name uh, the paramedics and EMTs who've uh, died by suicide. Suicide. Mm -hmm. And um, so, I mean, in a very sobering and, and rapid way, uh, you know, you, you, you can pretend that it's not there, but if we don't do something, um, we're, you know, sorry to take a somber road instead of a happy one, but um, I just think uh we just keep glossing over it and 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 uh let's never forget but and let's also just you know call a spade a spade mm -hmm. so reduction and even even in thoughts of suicide mm -hmm. yeah Bill? I, I, mm -hmm. you know there's i think that when we we could benefit by strengthening the resources available to instructors to be able to help them engage in this topic. So I would actually, you know, I think that we need to provide educators more education in this area. And I do, and I agree that even if it's them getting to the point where it says, I know the right person to come in and talk about this, and I'm going to have them come in and do that. That that sometimes educators don't even understand when they need to do that because we need resources for the future provider, and then we need better resources to educate the providers on mental health because it is it is everywhere. One of the best things I had when I had a, a hospital-based program was is we had access to the EAP program for the students. And at the very, there was an entire session right at the very beginning of the program where they spent the evening with the EAP counselor so they could learn about everything that they had to offer and then how to um, access it if they need to. And, and, and I always had this, I had this expert around to help me at least help my students while they were going through the process. And, uh, you know, and, and I had students who were alcoholics and stressed mm -hmm. out and, and different types of things. So I, but I think the two things we need to do is um, we need to help provide educators with better resources for this. And then we also, the curriculum needs to reflect the growing amount of behavioral emergencies that they will handle in their career. Yeah, that's great. It goes uh, both ways. They And actually the impact on their, their, um, sense of being able to handle patients with behavioral emergencies by doing this critical self-reflection. I think that would be an interesting outcome as well. So uh, the authors suggest that an effective and accessible on-campus meditation course could be offered to improve the mental health of college students, especially students who are in the health-related majors. 
like paramedic and nursing students. Um, so I thought that this was a, again, pull it, read it. I think it's a, a really important uh, topic, if anything, and a pretty cool little study. So thank you all for joining us and for participating. Thanks to those in the, who posted into the chat. Remember, you can join us next time on Friday, February 23rd, for a study, a look at a study, um, a simulation-based randomized trial. And this is of the checklists, ABCD style cognitive aid for EMS services. This is um, the CHIPS study. So we're going to be looking at that next month. And remember, you can come join us earlier on Monday, February 12th, Dr. Remley Crow, Dr. Tony Fernandez for the Clinical PCRF Journal Club. To join us live each month, remember you can register at prehospitalcare.org. And if you had to leave early in any of these, or you want to go back and, and listen to some of the uh, content, you can join us on our YouTube channel at uh, youtube.com at slash at PCRF at UCLA. So thank you very much. And we'll see you next time. We hope you have enjoyed and learned from this PCRF Journal Club. Please share it with other interested EMS professionals. An archive of past journal clubs can be found at www.pcrfpodcasts.org. You can also find us on Facebook at PCRF at UCLA and on our website at www.prehospitalcare.org. A special thank you to our sponsor, Limmer Education, providing education tools for success at every stage of your EMS journey.